I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me as always. And before we dive into this mailbag Wednesday edition of the show, I want to remind you, Guys out there that there's tons of stuff going on in the Oregon Ducks sports world. We've got all American teams. We've got all American honors. We've got player of the year honors. Uh, we're finding out recruiting news. There's still a coaching search going on for the Oregon football program with a receivers coach. They're looking to hire a new recruiting director. Uh, so lots still going on, even though physical sports have been put on pause right now. And I want to remind you guys out there that if you want to subscribe to DuckTerritory.com, that helps support Eric and I and Kevin do these type of, of Wednesday mailbag shows. Uh, and you can subscribe today for $1. Cost just $1 for your first month. After that, it's $9.95 per month. And when you're paying our regular scheduled programming price, you get CBS All Access for free. That's a $99 value for free. And look, we've all got it a lot of time on our hands right now and streaming and binge watching all of that is the the hot topic and by subscribing to duckterritory.com you get access to 10,000 shows movies on demand commercial free with CBS all access so Wednesday's show means it's a mailbag and that means we've got probably what I think six questions we've gotten uh, a couple over the last couple of days for the show, a lot of good stuff out there, football, basketball, recruiting, uh, all of that all rolled into one. All right. First question, and I pulled this out of my DMs because I was searching for questions this morning, and I saw this one from a couple weeks back, but I, I think it's something that would be a good source of discussion. And this is from at QKRBKRZZ. Um, any gossip out there about Mario Cristobal getting a contract extension? I know there was a report about him and the school being in talks, but I haven't heard anything since. Um, maybe we should also just take the time here to also discuss, you mentioned it in the open, uh, but that wide receiver position and maybe that recruiting coordinator position in terms of what we've heard from, I guess, just all coaching news or, or kind of rumblings we've heard. So, Matt, I'll let you kind of take this one. Yeah. So from a crystal ball standpoint, yeah, it's it's being worked out. Um, there's some stuff that's still being negotiated. They're working on some fi- financial aspects of that. I would imagine that crystal ball has a contract that's been redone by the end of next season. And I'm saying by the end of the 2020 football season, just because of COVID. Like this has put a, a ton of stuff on pause. There's so much more important things going on uh, in the world than sports. And while that is important and that's the, that's the most important part, you know, Cristobal still has to, you know, Oregon still has to be able to take care of their assets. And Cristobal is one of the University of Oregon's biggest assets that they have within the program. Uh, and so you want to take care of that for long-term Futures, but like I said, you know, COVID has kind of slowed everything down just because 
you you can't meet in person, and so everything is being done digitally. Everything is being done uh, electronically, and you know some of these negotiations are are it's emailing out uh, some clarifications and some some counters, and then having to wait four or five hours to get that back, and then you know you have to digest that information, and then you have to send it back, and and so it's it's kind of you know lengthened all the 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 negotiating out. So uh, it, it could happen in three weeks, you know, but I, I think the safe expectation is by the end of the 2021 football season is when we'll see it just because you also don't want to jump the gun here a little bit. This is, mm-hmm. I think crystal balls first real test of his career and kind of when his internal clock begins for, I don't want to say is he the right guy? Cause I think he is, but like the first two seasons that he had at Oregon were unique. Cristobal's hire was was not the typical hire in that you he is replacing. You know, he's new at a at a program that's ascending up at the same time. That's that doesn't happen very often. Usually, when you have coaching changes at the Power Five level, it's because a coach is either retired or a coach has been fired. But very very rarely do you see. Power five coach go to power five school. Uh, and, and if they do, it's no pun intended or, you know, no offense, but it's a, like a Jonathan Smith at Oregon State who goes to a Washington or who goes to an Oregon because those are higher profile power five jobs. Very rarely do you see uh, a power five high elite school like Oregon have a, have a coach go to another Power Five school at the at the same echelon, like Willie Taggart did to Florida State, that just doesn't happen very often. And so Crystal Ball stepped into a program in which they were ascending, they were projecting upwards, they had the pieces in place, they just needed to be fine tuned. And that doesn't diminish the coaching job that he did and the improvements that he made to the program because they were massive. But he had kind of the pieces there; he just had to put it all together. Now it's all those pieces are, are basically gone. You know, Herbert's gone, Troy Dye's gone, four starting offensive linemen are gone, your top tight end is gone. You've seen Ugo Amadi, you know, from two years ago go. You've seen Jalen Jelks from two years ago go. Henry Mondu from two years ago go. Uh, so your Lamar Winston this season, he is gone. And so now is when the clock starts, I think, for Crystal Ball of there's a lot of key pieces back, but at the same time, you got a lot of questions. And how is Oregon going to be able to maneuver them and reload and retool and continue to push the narrative? And if you go out and give him a huge contract, and let's say 2020 is a bomb, now you're wondering, oh, boy, did we overextend ourselves for a guy we maybe were a little too far ahead of the curve of thinking he was for sure the guy? I, I think he is. I believe he is but you have to be smart about it too yeah i think so and i, I think another thing <clears throat> and, and i think really good points matt in terms of you're right like the 2019 season was undoubtedly a success but there were expectations in place based upon the roster that they had um they were picked to win the pac-12 north they did that uh they went out and won the pac-12 they won the rose bowl i think those are maybe exceeding or at least reaching expectations but yeah, 2020 is a really important season, I think, for him solidifying what all those things you just talked about in terms of not only 
taking the the pieces he has, but also roster management and building. And I think he's done a really good job from that perspective. Obviously, as a from a recruiting perspective, um, from a adding transfers and and kind of fine tuning the roster perspective. Now it's just a matter of I think going out and, and proving he can do it. Um, in 2020, again, we've talked about it before. The schedule is incredibly challenging. There are a lot of challenges built in for this season. So I think you're right, and I think you're also right in terms of you you do want to be careful here of you know not taking 2019 and thinking that's going to be a decade worth of success. You don't want to buy into one season being the everything, and especially when you're seeing uh, assistant coaching turnover. I think you do want to see how some of these you know how good is Joe Moorhead going to be? How, how good will uh, Rod Chance be in replacement of Dante Williams. Will the recruiting uh, take a step back? How will this wide receiver hire, which we're, we're mentioned, we're waiting on go? So there's a lot of things I think you have to kind of wait for here, and I do think you you've got him in place. He's made it clear he likes it here. Um, I just think you want to make sure you're. I think you're right. I, I think you do have to be sort of careful here in, in throwing a huge heap of money at him, and suddenly you're in a spot where in 2022, where maybe the program has taken a downward spiral. And I don't fully expect that to happen, but it's not inconceivable. Um, that you're not just kind of put yourself behind the eight ball. I mean, it, it, it just happened a couple of years ago with Mark Helfrich. You know, yeah. Oregon had Chip Kelly go to the NFL, and they promoted from within. The Helfrich was, I thought at the time, the right hire. And then it's probably what I would do again had that scenario played out under Chip Kelly and Helfrich again. You know, you that, that made the most sense at the time, and it still does. And Oregon went to the national championship – in year two of the Mark Helfrich era, and basically Oregon bid it against themselves, negotiated against themselves with giving Helfrich a huge hire, uh, a huge contract extension, uh, bump in pay. And yes, he deserved to get rewarded for the season that he had, but at the same time, he was doing it with a lot of the pieces that were in place when he assumed the job. And there wasn't this huge marquee push to go and hire Mark Helfrich away from Oregon. Everyone basically kind of knew, like, hey, that's an Oregon guy. He's not going to leave. And it, if we want him, it's going to take a ton of money to get him. And let's just go after somebody else. And I, I think Cristobal is a little bit different than Helfrich because he originally comes from the South Florida area and the SEC area, but his family has – has kind of entrenched themselves here in Eugene, and Cristobal has made a, a, a point a ton of times to to say that they are here for the long haul. I mean, he even turned down Miami after year one at Oregon. You know, flat out was not interested in that job. And so you don't want to bid against yourselves. Like, I think Cristobal is, is going to be a hot topic. Like, if he comes out and Oregon wins the Rose Bowl again in 2021 – uh, after winning the conference championship in 2020, his stock is going to be through the roof. And so that's the, the fine line in here for, for Chris, for, uh, Rob Mullins, the Oregon athletic director is rewarding Crystal Ball at a high enough clip that he feels rewarded. He feels welcomed and, and appreciated. And you're, you're still, you know, Mark, you know, paying him the marquee amount, but at the same time, getting maybe that hometown discount that you could get before the 2020 season plays out when potentially he could explode uh, and, and his value becomes even higher. Second question from at Josh Harden underscore four over under 1.5. 
the number of times a men's basketball or women's basketball player wins national player over of the year over the next four years. Trying to put some perspective on how awesome Sabrina has been. Hashtag odds and audibles. Thank you for using the hashtag. Um, yeah, I'm going to take the under <laughs> because yeah. historically, uh, you know, as everybody knows listening, or most people know listening, uh, what Sabrina has done is really unprecedented. And, and uh, if you were to do the over-under of one and a half over the course of the last 80 years or so of, of Oregon men's and women's basketball, I know women didn't play over the course of the entire 80 years. They started playing about 30 or 40 years ago. But if you were to look into it from that perspective, uh, you would have definitely be hitting the under because you'd be the number would be zero. And I know we talk about the elevation of both programs. I do think the women maybe they, maybe there's a player on the roster now or one of these recruits that comes in as a five star. And I'm not going to say they replicate what Sabrina has been, but they are a top tier caliber player that does win a national player of the year award. I just I think that's plausible. It's possible. I mean, there are I, we talked about this before. Even with all these players leaving, even with Satsu deciding to go early. There's still going to be seven five-star recruits on the 2020-21 roster on the women's basketball side. There's still a ton of talent there. Maybe a Sedona Prince is somebody who rises and becomes that caliber of a player. Uh, who knows? Uh, maybe it's one of these freshmen, like I said. But um, I definitely am still going to take the under, even if I think there's a slight possibility a women's player gets it. It seems like on the men's side, it would take something truly, truly special because if a player like Peyton Pritchard, who had a season like he just had, and, and I guess all the awards haven't been announced, but it doesn't look like he's going to probably seems like an outside chance. And maybe, maybe Matt, you can correct me on this, but if a player like Peyton Pritchard has a hard time winning it, I find it hard to believe Oregon's going to recruit or bring in another men's player who, who has a, a, better, a better chance of doing so. Yeah. I, I, I was going to say like, I'm going to take the under and if there is someone that comes from uh, Oregon that wins national player of the year, I, quite frankly, I'm just going to say the women because uh, the, the men, they aren't, I don't, I, I don't think they are recruiting that player right now that's, you know, top five, top 10, top 15 in the country at their, you know, not at just their position, but just of, of all positions in their recruiting class. Whereas the women's side, what, they've got five freshmen coming in that are all, uh, state players of the year, that are all McDonald's All Americans, that are all five star recruits. Like, I, I think, and, and women's basketball recruiting to men's basketball recruiting is completely different. And, you know, the, the women's side, we've seen that the five-star recruit is okay coming off the bench and, you know, their freshman year and, and playing 15 minutes a game. And then as a sophomore, you know, playing 22, 23 minutes, maybe a couple of them are starters and a couple of them aren't starters. And then as juniors, they're all starting. You know, we've seen that as, you know, a more common deal than, in the men's side, if, if, if the men's, if a four-star guy, if a three-star guy is not playing 20 minutes a game his freshman year, he, he, there's a good chance he's going to look to leave. So right. I, I think, um, the men's, the, the men's side is harder project, to project for Oregon. I think they're going to have a ton of, if you ask me one and a half conference players of the year at Oregon, I'm taking that because I think they have next year's player of the year on the roster this season. Uh, it, it, whether that be Chris Duarte, whether that be Will Richardson or, whether that be a, a guy like Infale Dante or Eugene Umari, I, I think one of those four guys will win conference player of the year at Oregon before they leave. Um, and then whoever else they bring in over the next four years will have a good chance at that. Um, but if we're talking national player of the year, I, I'm taking the under and I'm taking if the Ducks do create a national player of the year, it'll be on the women's side. 
And one just follow up thinking out loud about the women's national player of the year award. Um, Ryan Howard plays at Kentucky. She's one of the finalists this year. She's a sophomore. If she continues to play at the level she did this last year and, you know, you took out the way she scores the basketball for Kentucky, I would imagine she's going to be right at the top of that. And you also have a number of players for South Carolina, that, that roster, which there's been a lot of discussion on the message board about Oregon and South Carolina, the possibility of who would win in a, a straight up matchup. Uh, we should note that that entire, not entire, but most of that roster are freshmen and sophomore. And those players, I would guess, one of those players is going to elevate its play and be in consideration too. So it's certainly not a layup. It's hard to win these awards. You have to be a very, very special talent. A player like Sabrina comes through, uh, you know, once in a generation. A player like Peyton Pritchard comes through similar. I don't know if it's once in a generation, but certainly once every 10, 15 years that you get a player who can uh, have a career like that. So, yeah, certainly not easy. I think both of us are taking the under. I like that question, though. All right, third question from at Jeremy one time. Who starts in the slot, Jalen Red or Micah Pittman? His pick is Micah Pittman. Uh, I'm going to throw a third name out here based upon what we saw during spring, and that would be Johnny Johnson, who was working in the slot because Jalen Red had a injury to his hand. Um, obviously, they're probably trying to cross-train Johnson, who did take a little bit of at least practice reps in the slot. I know you also saw the field a little bit from a game perspective um, out of the slot, but uh, Johnny Johnson's a name to know there as well. I wouldn't be shocked if we see a fair number of sets where you see Johnson in the slot with then two of the bigger receivers on the outside, maybe Devin Williams and Brian Addison. Maybe you got a guy like a Lance Willhoyd or a J.R. Waters who elevate their games and can contribute there. But um, I, I think it's not just limited to those two players. I think Johnny Johnson's a name to know. Um, if we're picking just between those two, it's hard because I think Jalen Red has performed at a very high level now for his entire career, especially his, his sophomore and junior seasons. Last year, I thought he was he really stepped up. I was expecting Michael Pittman to come in and kind of take you know ownership of that job. Obviously, injuries uh, impacted that, but uh, Red did a good job of holding on to that spot. So if I'm picking just between those two, I'd probably lean Red, although I'm still not shocked at all if, if Michael Pittman ends up having a really, really strong sophomore season because the talent there is so evident. I would say Jalen Red. I think Red's going to be the starter. I think Johnny Johnson will start on the outside. And then it'll be up for Devin Williams or Brian Addison to start at the other position. Um, I, I don't think Oregon is going to roll with their three best on paper going out of the 2019 season, Just which is Pittman, Red, and uh, Johnson. Um, I, I, I just think you can't start three guys that are six foot or smaller in your starting lineup at receiver, if you're going to go with three receivers, you just can't. You you have to have some. You have to have a physical guy. You have to have a possession type guy. And or, or, I mean, maybe you do, but you you continually rotate, and maybe you continually, you know, for the most part, those three guys are starter and name only, and then you know Addison or Williams or both, you know, play a majority of the snaps. But I, I think that's. Oregon's going to see who plays the most in the snaps in 2020 in the slot position for me, Jalen Red. I mean, he, he's productive. I mean, I, I I know Micah Pittman's a big-time recruit. I know Micah Pittman had good numbers last season, but I just go back to, you know, like the ASU game when Jalen Red could not play. And, yes, I understand that Micah Pittman was not playing in that game either, but um, I, I look at that game and Jalen Red was not – available because of injury and Oregon's offense was just stuck. Herbert had his worst game of his senior year in that game. And I I, I think Red is one of those guys you just can't take off the football field. I know he's not 
as highly you know recruited as other guys on the roster, but he's shown it in my mind. His first three years, he's a valuable piece. Yeah, absolutely valuable. And I think one thing you have to consider here too is is this is a different offense under Joe Moorhead, and maybe there will be some sort sure. of difference in terms of what he he sees out of that position in terms of a personnel perspective. So I think that's the wild card. And again, this is one of those things we've talked about this a lot when we receive these sort of uh, depth chart or kind of predicting who starts, you know, questions. Is the reality is we have not seen enough practice, and the team probably didn't have enough practice to really gauge us either. So we're kind of running off of what, limited information here, but. I agree with Matt. If, the, the bulk of the information we have is that Jalen Red was a very, very integral part of this offense a year ago. And just because there's a ascending player like a Micah Pittman uh, and an offensive coordinator change, uh, I don't expect that that necessarily changes unless Red continues to deal with this hand injury, um, which, by the way, he did make it through the season. But if that becomes a thing that lingers or maybe he re- re-injures it, that would be the only way I would see maybe he, he doesn't get a, the first dibs right. at that spot. All right, let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Frame. Eric Scopel is with me, as always. Halfway through today's mailbag edition, three more to go. All right, fourth question from at Tosh Myers. Can you talk about any men's basketball recruits still considering Oregon? Uh, Matt, you are the men's basketball dude. Uh, what do you got in that one? Yeah, so I, th- I think right now we're seeing a shift. Um, Oregon has Jalen Terry currently committed in the 2020 recruiting class, and he's a four-star point guard, 64th best player in the country, the 10th best point guard in the country. So 64th best overall. Uh, he is a guy that's going to come into Oregon and have a chance to start right away. I, I think probably early on, Will Richardson will run the point until they can figure out if Jalen Terry is capable of running the show at point guard primarily right away as a true freshman. But nonetheless, he's going to play a lot for Oregon in the 2020-2021 season. 
whether that's as a starter or whether that's uh, as a guy coming off the bench. Now, they also have Eugene Umari and Eric Williams coming, and Luke Ware coming off red shirts. Uh, more importantly, though, Eugene Umari and Eric Williams are transfers. They were the best players at their previous schools and are guys that are going to be starters. I, I, I just can't – I don't know that for fact. You know, no, no one no one at Oregon has said that on the record. But based off of what they've done the previous stops in college basketball, the needs that Oregon has on the roster, they're starters. And so you look at your roster right now, and let's just say no one leaves. You have – Will Richardson at point guard, you have Chris Duarte at shooting guard, you have Eric Williams at small forward, Eugene Omari at power forward, and then you could start a plethora of guys at the center spot, whether that's Infoli Dante, whether that's CJ Walker, whether that's Chandler Lawson, whether that's Francis Okoro. One of those four guys will, will start at the center spot. I would probably say it's Infoli Dante, but who, whoever it is doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, is that Oregon basically has their starting lineup made up of guys returning from this past season's roster. And so going out and, and yeah, you want to find a, a Jalen Green, a five-star shooting guard. And, yeah, you want a, a Zaire Williams, another five-star wing. Like, those guys would be awesome to have. But the reality is is that Oregon doesn't have the ability to go out and, and tell a five-star point guard – Look, man, we've got no one at the shooting guard spot, and we need you. We and we've got 25 minutes, 30 minutes, right there for the taking. Like you can come in right now, play your one-year basketball, and go pro. Like that's just not going to happen because they don't have that availability. So I think what's going to happen, and what we're starting to see play out when you look at the names that Oregon's uh, involved with this spring, is they're going the graduate transfer route, they're going the junior college route. And they're also going out and trying to find prospects that are sit, you know, sit one, meaning redshirt this upcoming season and be eligible to play. Now, there's a couple guys that make a lot of sense that they've gone after and they're going to try and bring in as graduate transfers. The most notable one is Justin Turner. He's a six foot four guard from Bowling Green. He averaged 18 points a game, five, five rebounds and two and a half assists last season. He has scored over 1500 career points. In his career at work, uh, at Bowling Green has a career low of 36.1% on three pointers in one of his three seasons. That's insane. If his low is 36.1%, that's right around a little above average, uh, for most players out there. So he's a really good three point shooter. He's a really good scorer. Now Oregon could come in and, and, and say, look, we want you and we want Eric Williams to duke it out for the, the the small forward spot, and whoever gets it uh, starts. Whoever doesn't, you'll you'll still play 20, 25 minutes a game. Um, that's one guy that they're looking at. Uh, and then another another possibility is DJ Carton. He's a guy that's going to have a chance to get a waiver from the NCAA and be eligible to play right away. He's a transfer from Ohio State. He's a freshman point guard. You could literally have DJ Carton, and you could have Jalen Terry duke it out for the starting point guard spot, allow Will Richardson to to play shooting guard uh, for for Oregon. I think that's a guy that Oregon is really into right now. Eric Stevenson is a guy from Wichita State. He's a transfer. He's going to have to sit one and then play two. There is some thinking that he's going to try and get a waiver, and you never know, but 
the reality is people are expecting that he has to sit a year, but he's a guy that will come in and, and can provide some shooting for Oregon. And then I, I think a guy that makes a lot of sense for Oregon and has a real good possibility, there's two of them out there. There's one of which is Darius Perry. He's a graduate transfer from Louisville. He's a senior. He's looking to have a little bit bigger of a role. He came off the bench for the Cardinal this past season, and Oregon can tell him, look, we need point guard help, we need three-point shooting, and we, we need someone who's going to be able to give us 20, 25 minutes a game. Darius Perry fits that. He's played at a high level at a Power 5 school. And then another guy is Amari Hardy, a six foot two point guard, graduate transfer from UNLV, a guy that averaged 14.5 points and, and three three rebounds and three assists a game. So I think you look at those are some of the names that, that are out there. Um, from a, a transfer perspective, but Oregon spent also a lot of time on the 2021 class and getting themselves ready for that. So I don't necessarily think Oregon's going to go out and, and unless there's a rash of transfers and guys going pro, going out and signing a ton, a ton of guys from the 2020 recruiting class, whether that's a high school guy, a transfer guy, a junior college guy, just because there's little room right now on the roster. Yeah, and I think a thing that you have to recognize, or it seems to be taking place, and I think we've mentioned this before, is Oregon moving away a little bit from those five-star one-and-done recruits. And obviously in 2020, there aren't just that many available anymore, but I do think that's notable in terms of the focus being placed maybe more on grad transfers, normal college transfers, junior college transfers, guys they think could play three or four years. I think that's going to be an interesting, I don't want to say experiment, because we've seen them have success now. With that, but it's going to be an interesting change from what we saw after that Final Four run where they went out and tried to sign all these five-star top 10, top 15 recruits, one-and-done prospects, and clearly that didn't play out that well. If you just look at the you know, the history of the five-star recruits Oregon signed, has not been something that's been super beneficial, for at least from a wins and loss perspective. Um, I think maybe Lewis King's contributions during the Sweet 16 run last year are, are maybe the most... Um, significant of any of the, the five-star recruits that have come through here. Obviously, Troy Brown's had a decent NBA career, but um, in terms of success at Oregon, it's been kind of hit or miss with those five stars and, and more misses than hits, I think. And I should note that literally as I was going through some of the names, um, Eric Stevenson of Wichita State has committed to Washington as of this recording. So you can scratch him off the list. And, and quite honestly, like I know Oregon was in the top five, and I know Oregon really wanted him. I just his shooting percentages. He's coming from a program where there's mass, you know, departures. I, I I just think there's other options that made better sense out there for. And it's not we didn't want him anyways type of a thing, but at the same time, I I think they could go out and find some other guys that that fit him. But he's he's now committed to Washington. He'll have to sit one play too. Fifth question from at Pack Surfrider. Now that it's been publicly announced that Logan Sagapalu has returned for early from his mission due to the COVID-19 concerns here in Hawaii, is there a scholarship slash roster room to get him enrolled in time for the 2020 season, or will he have to wait? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, I know we've written a couple things on the site here, Matt, but what's kind of the latest on, on Logan? Yeah, so Logan had to come home early because of COVID, and he was on a religious mission uh, I believe in Hawaii and Hawaii is a place where it's, it's spreading pretty, pretty quickly. And he's come home 
And now, yes, he will be able to join the football team for the 2020 football season. Now, the question becomes, when does that happen? Because we don't, you know, school right now is shut down on campus. No one's allowed on campus. You, you're doing everything, you know, digitally. There's no workouts that are uh, going on at Oregon. But nonetheless, his, his mission is over. He can now begin his training he, that he can do on his own. He, he can begin his, his, uh, nutrition, uh, plans that, that Oregon will set up with him and he'll be asked to, to hold himself accountable, but he will show up for fall camp if that happens and he will be a, a candidate to play in the 2020 football season. I think what's probably more realistic is that he plays in those four games that he's allowed throughout the season and then red shirts in 2020 and is in contention uh, for more playing time as a redshirt freshman during the 2021 season. But nonetheless, you're getting a guy that Oregon was extremely high on with Logan. They were, they, they felt like he was one of the best offensive linemen in the 2019 recruiting class and they got a steal and that he can play multiple positions. His primary position is being a center. Uh, Oregon's, you know, got an open job right now, but it would, it would, Pretty shock. It would be pretty shocking to me if he comes in and wins the job away from an Alex Forsythe or a Ryan Walk or a, Joss, a Dawson Jalimo or uh, T.J. Bass uh, or Jonathan Dennis. Yeah. But nonetheless, he's going to be in the mix for playing time, and I, I do think he will play in four games in 2020 and then redshirt. I think that makes a lot of sense, and of course there, are, you know. We've talked, this has been talked about on the site, but you kind of do wonder about what sort of conditioning and exercising regiments you can get some of these recruits in, and especially a kid coming off of a mission where he's not working on football stuff day to day. It may be a little bit too much to ask for him to come in and arrive at Oregon in the physical, you know, conditioning with the technical, I guess, having knocked off the dust from that. It might be just a lot to ask for him to come in and be a big time contributor immediately considering he will be coming off a mission um, but it is significant news and, and I think something that is worth keeping an eye on and as you know we get more word on when and what the fall looks like uh, certainly a name to keep an eye on sixth and final question from at Altman Fever what was your favorite game to cover in person this season for any Oregon sport what made it so special I've been thinking a lot about this one Matt um, I really wanted to find a women's basketball game to pick and there are certainly some of them, but the reality is, is none of them were very competitive, at least the ones at home that I covered in person. Um, none of those games, aside, I think, from the Oregon State game, were closer than about 20 to 30 points. So um, hard to pick from that group. I guess Sabrina scoring a career-high 37 in that 32-point win over Stanford sticks, you know, would be up there. But in terms of games I covered in person, uh, the football season, there were just a couple that, that stood out. And, and I think, ultimately, it's the last one I covered, which was the Rose Bowl. Um, it kind of checked all the boxes. It was a marquee bowl game against a marquee opponent. It was a hard-fought game. I think, uh, you know, it comes down to the final couple possessions in the fourth quarter. Oregon ends up winning. Uh, there was the unexpected Justin Herbert's going to run the ball for three touchdowns wrinkle that no one was expecting <laughs> at all. Um, there was just a lot in that game that I think you you looked at and kind of went like, wow, that was like kind of, I mean, I think we both had picked Oregon to win. I think we expected that was possible, but the roadmap to getting there ended up being a lot different than I think we had anticipated it might be. So I think that's an easy one. That's that's probably the top one for me. Uh, another nominee would, would be, or I guess two more nominees off the top of my head 
from the season are, are the Washington Washington State games in consecutive weeks. You know, first one being in Seattle where Oregon rallies from a big deficit in the second half and 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 beats the Huskies in Seattle, uh, which was obviously critical to winning the conference. And then the following week, uh, giving up that that lead to the Cougars, but Camden Lewis kicking the game-winning field goal. Uh, and obviously orchestrating that that final drive there to set that up from from Justin Herbert, one of his probably more impressive late game, uh, you know, both those games, both Washington and all three of them actually, Washington, Wisconsin, and Washington State, all really impressive Herbert games in terms of leading the team uh, to a victory when when the game was certainly up for grabs uh, in the fourth quarter. I would probably say the Rose Bowl just because of the significance of it, like you said. Um, it was an exciting game. It came down literally to the final minute or so of the game, uh, back and forth game. And the stage that it was on, the what was at stake for that game kind of trumps everything else out there. Uh, other ones for me, I was going to say the Washington game up in Seattle for the football team. That was a, a pretty – Impressive game, pretty exciting game to to cover and to watch. The Washington State one for football was another one at home in which Herbert had a game-winning drive that ended with uh, Cameron Lewis making that field goal to win the game in walk-off fashion. Uh, that was pretty remarkable, pretty fun to watch, uh, and, and pretty fun to cover. Uh, another one for me that I think was really exciting and, and awesome to cover was Another game up in Seattle, the men's side of basketball, when when Oregon beat the Huskies uh, in, in mid in mid uh, mid January, Peyton Pritchard hit that game winning shot. That was pretty awesome to see. Pretty crazy to, to cover that environment was pretty crazy to, to be involved in and be at. Uh, another basketball game that I think was really good and was really exciting to watch was the Arizona game uh, early on in it was the first conference game right after. That Washington game, Oregon went to overtime and Peyton, Peyton Pritchard hit the game tying shot to send it to overtime. And then, uh, Will Richardson scored the game winning basket in the last couple of seconds just before, just after Josh Green hit that, that basket off of an Oregon turnover to take the lead. And then Oregon had those defensive stops and multiple possessions, uh, to, to secure the victory. I think those would be a couple for me. Um, I only went to one basketball game all season long. That would be from a women's standpoint, that and that would be the, the last home game. So I don't really have much of a of a say there. But I would think Eric, the Team USA one would be up there pretty high too, right? Yeah, you know, and I, I probably should have thought of that one first. Uh, and you're right, that one again was, that doesn't even count. Right, and I think that's maybe why it slipped my brain because I was thinking about this women's season in terms of the games that did count and, and how all of those were 20 to 30 point blowouts. But yeah, that game was really special to be at, and uh, in part because no one really gave them a shot at actually winning the game. And obviously, we know what took place. Um, but I think also senior night, and I know obviously the game wasn't quite what a lot of these other ones were in terms of exciting finishes, but just the way they sent off. Sabrina, Ruthie, and Satu, and Mignon on, on senior night was something that was, I think, really significant. Obviously, uh, it took place with the expectation or understanding that more games would be played at home, so it was kind of like a quasi-senior night. And I think that's another one of those things that you, you look back and think about how this all ended, and, and it's sort of a, it's really a bummer because I'm not saying that the fans didn't give a great send-off, because I think they did, but because there was an expectation that they'd be hosting tournament games, 
there was kind of a little bit of everyone was kind of holding back a little bit, and you know the players talked about it, and Kelly Graves talked about it, and um, I really wish that moment would have been able to come off a little differently. But uh, at the same time, yeah, I think that one needs to be up there. And you're right, thanks for catching the, the Team USA one. Probably doesn't surpass the Wisconsin Rose Bowl victory just because of the significance of the win. But in terms of just really entertaining, exciting thing to be at, I think that's definitely up there. I think maybe we need to explore this topic further down the line. Yeah. You know, just awesome games that we've covered. Um, cause I have, I have a quite a bit and I don't want to ramble too much more, uh, on the, on the podcast cause we're approaching 40 minutes, but I, I think that's something that we should do. And so I, I appreciate Altman Fever sending that, us that question because that's something we need to ex- uh, expand upon further down the road, I think. 100% agreement. No, no, no. We'll figure out a time to do that. All right. That is the show for today. Thank you for listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. We want to remind you guys, if you're not a, if you're not a subscriber, you do enjoy uh, these podcasts, please consider subscribing. It helps us fund the ability to do type of this stuff and devote time to doing this. It makes it worth it for us to do it. Um, we're not generating a ton of money off of podcasts. And so if you enjoy the podcast, a way to support us to continue having uh, us to continue doing these is by subscribing to duckterritory.com. And you can do that for as low as $1 for your first month. And after that, it's $9.95 per month. And when you pay the regular $9.95 price, you get the CBS All Access streaming platform, which has a $99 value for free. 10,000 shows, live movies, sports, TV shows, all of it on demand as well, commercial free. So highly encourage you guys to sign up because, look, we're all streaming right now. We're all binge watching stuff. And you could get a free service by of, of things to watch or for your wife to watch or for your kids to watch. And at the same time, you're supporting us getting your Oregon Duck news. So consider doing that as well. So for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prame, thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. Adios, amigos.